Welcome. This is Sheila Murthy, founder and president of the Murthy Law Firm. I have with me two of our brilliant attorneys from the Murthy Law Firm who are panelists, and I will act as the moderator for today's session on increasing chances for the success at U.S. consulates. As many of you may already know, foreign nationals who apply for a non-immigrant visa, such as an H-1B or H-4, have been experiencing significant delays in the visa issuance. This is caused by the issuance, in most cases, of a 221G request for additional information for administrative processing, or it's called a soft denial, and possible referral to the USCIS for a revocation of the underlying H-1B petition. At the Murthy Law Firm, we have been seeing and hearing of many such reports which describe situations where the H-1B employee has been unable to return to the U.S. to resume H-1B employment, and then it has resulted in many cases in the unfortunate termination of the H-1B employment, separation of family members, and other serious life-changing events. While it is understandable that consular officers or COs for this discussion need to ensure that all visa applicants qualify for the particular visa that they are applying in order to enter the United States, in many situations, it is very possible that an additional request or a delay or a denial or even a revocation would seem to be unjustified and unfounded, but seems to be happening fairly often. In today's teleconference, we will propose ways in which the employer can improve the chance of an approval of the visa or a visa issuance, as we call it, at consular posts in other countries with a focus with India. We can also provide information and guidance to you on how to prepare or have your employee prepare for the visa interview, what to expect, and how to overcome various problems associated with the visa issuance. So, Anna, would you be kind enough to sort of give us a broad uh, umbrella overview of the recent trends and major problems that we have been seeing for visa applicants and employers? Sure. Thank you, Sheila. Most of the major problems uh, that are experienced by visa applicants at consulate posts have unfortunately been a common occurrence in the last couple of years. Uh, for the most part, as, as you mentioned, it's 221G uh, denials and administrative processing delays and delays that, that remain for a very long time, unfortunately, and they are problematic for employees and their employers. Secondly, uh, the return of H-1B petitions to USCIS for consideration for revocation, again, results in very long delays. Uh, petition information management system delays relating to returned H-1B petitions. This is when the employers do not have any way of knowing when they will hear from USCIS, which usually issues a notice of intent to revoke, and how long the entire process is going to take for the petition to be reaffirmed or in some unfortunate situations uh, revoked. And 
the um, uh, more recent trend is cancellation or temporary revocation of existing visas, which occurs during the application process for new visas under 221I. This is a recently expanded power for the Department of State. Okay, and I'm guessing we're going to be discussing all of these in today's uh, discussions. That is correct. And give uh, hints and suggestions on how to avoid and overcome and, and in some cases, preempt these problems. Thank you. Uh, Brian, if we can go on to the issue of if you would explain when and how existing visas can be revoked or canceled by a consular officer. Yes, Sheila. This is a fairly recent development in immigration law. In April of 2011, consular officers were given the power to revoke already approved visas when they had information that was new to them. So you can imagine if someone is traveling from the USA to India to apply for an H-1B visa and their spouse is staying in the U.S. and on an H-4 visa or H-4 status, if something happens at the consulate where the consular officer gets new information, that consular officer now has the power to cancel the existing H-4 visa for the person inside the U.S. So it's a scary idea, but it's something that we have to address now. There's two ways a consular officer can do this. If the information that they obtain at the consulate shows that the person with the already approved visa was not eligible at the time they applied for the visa, the consular officer can then go into what's called the CLASS system, the consular lookout and support system, and they can actually cancel the visa through the computers the Department of State uses. The other way they can cancel a visa is, say, an H-4 applicant goes to the consulate and applies for their visa. The consular officer can ask questions about the H-1B primary visa holder, and if that H-4 applicant gives information that doesn't match what's in the computer system about the original H-1B application, the consular officer then has authority to cancel the H-1B and also or to deny the H-1B and then uh, cancel the, um, deny the H-1B for our application at the consulate. So it's important that when someone goes to the consulate, whether it's an H-1B or H-4, that they are they understand the basis of the other person's uh, visa application because when information is conflicting, the consular officers then have this power to basically deny and cancel all the visas involved. So it's, it's a very important topic. Yeah, and it's kind of scary because there are times when they've actually, a person didn't had an H-1 visa that was, say, valid for two more months but wanted it for the full three years and then goes and applies for the visa and then the officer decides to write the word revoked across the visa and cancel it. And in fact, we've written a Murthy Bulletin article in from May 2011 specifically on this topic. And the f- strange thing there is then you could have used that to enter and get a 994 for the entire time. And now you've just lost that opportunity when the visa itself gets revoked. So Anna, how would you, as the immigration law attorney, how would we advise as a possible strategy to increase the visa applicants' chances for the visa issuance? Sure. Three words of wisdom to our company clients and everybody who is engaged in sponsoring H-1B employees specifically. They are document, document, and document. You need to remember that the consular officer has access to the H-1B petition and everything that, uh, that is filed with it through PIMS, uh, which is Petition Information Management System, as well as other information that is supplied by USCIS, FDNS, the Department of Labor, and Customs and Border Protection. I cannot stress it enough how important it is to 
uh, document the initial petition filing with um, all of the information that will be uh, accessible to the consulate. Uh, what information do we mean by it? Well, first of all, especially for IT consulting companies, it's the uh, evidence uh, at the, uh, of the proposed job that the job is in the specialty occupation. Uh, what is that evidence? This is and client letters, letters from managers, contracts, statements of work, uh, work orders. Uh, you need to very clearly indicate where the location is, what work will be performed, and what the job duties are. Remember that also the petitioner is expected to demonstrate that the job is going to be available throughout the entire duration of the requested validity period through the end of the requested date on the uh, approved petition. You don't want to trust that the new or different information offered at the consulate will solve your problems. They, it will not. In fact, it's going to result in many cases in the denial or revocation because the consulate will uh, interpret it as information different than the information that was available to USCIS. Again, that will cause uh, headaches and long delays. You must make sure that the information in the H-1B petition is accurate. If the consulate finds contradictory information about the work site, for example, your company or your company's services online, it may again lead to a 221G request for more information, a 221G delay for additional investigation, or an H-1B petition being returned to CIS. And uh, sometimes in uh, very rare, but uh, those cases, true cases that we heard about, it can also lead to uh, determination of inadmissibility based on fraud or misrepresentation for the employee. Well, all that sounds pretty scary. And so the bottom line is you need to have someone look at all of this with an objective eye. Don't just, because you get a request for evidence or 221G to appease the consular officer, just give them that information they're requesting because that could potentially, as Anna just pointed out, conflict with what you previously submitted in the petition, thereby resulting in either a delay or a denial and causing harm both to the employee and the employee's family and, of course, to your business and your profits and, and your continued existence as a successful, profitable consulting company. Some of the other strategies that we consider or look at is trying to get fewer layers between the employer and the worksite or the end client. Uh, one, as we all are aware, since January 2010, the ability to control issue, which has in fact become prevalent in the adjudication of H-1B visas at consular posts around the world, and particularly even so in India. And one way to improve your you as the employer and your chance for success for your employees at the consulate is to demonstrate either a direct contact with the work site where the uh, H-1B consultant will be located or to show fewer layers. So while the IT consulting company has in recent years operated with layers of mid-vendors and prime vendors, these arrangements could lead to additional investigation by the consular officer who really wants to ensure and determine if the job, as it's described to USCIS in the H-1 petition, is in fact accurate, or if new information has now become available, giving them the legal excuse or reason 
to deny the H-1B visa. If all the mid-vendors are not disclosed to USCIS during the petition filing process, a return of that petition to USCIS is much more likely. And as Anna just pointed out, you know, document yourself because if there is no way to avoid having more than a layer or two between the H-1B sponsoring employer and the work location, it is best to document that the employee remains under the control of you as the H-1B employer and to have this information verified in writing by the mid-vendor, by the prime vendor, and the end client. So those are some of the strategies. Brian, how important is it for the employee to get familiar with the H-1B petition package, the information and the documents when they go in for the H-1B, for example, visa interview? It's critical, Sheila. You have to look at this from the point of view of the consular officer. They're standing behind a window in, um, say, Mumbai or some other location, and they may see 100 visa applicants a day. They may have three or four minutes per H-1B visa applicant, and they will have in front of them a computer screen that has the information from USAS from the H-1B petition, and they're going to have the chance to ask a few questions of the H-1B applicant. Who, you know, who do you work for? What kind of company is it? What kind of job are you going to perform in the U.S.? And if that um, visa applicant is not ready to, to answer that question quickly, not just that they understand how to, how to answer truthfully and honestly and accurately, but also be able to give the answer in a, in a fast, uh, reactive way, the consular officer may doubt this person and issue a 221G. A lot of consular officers may be looking for a way to ask for more information. And if they find a question that the uh, applicant is not prepared to answer, then they have that form right in front of them. They just fill out the 221G, add the case number, start checking off boxes. So if you want to have a visa approved in the first interview, the first chance, the employee has to understand what they're going to be doing. And especially critical is, who is your manager going to be in the U.S.? If the uh, H-1B visa applicant cannot answer that question, if they can't give a name of someone, and that name should, as Anna said, be reflected in the documents that were provided to USCS, if that match is not there, then the consular officer has that legal authority to issue the 221G or send the petition back for revocation. The problem that we are finding also is when new H-1B applicants have never worked for the company before in the U.S., they don't have this knowledge in them of what they will have already been doing in the U.S. So if it's a new job for the person, you have to spend extra time with that employee and explain to them who's your manager, what's your project, what are your actual skills going to be used, what are your duties going to be. Without that information, the consular officer, again, may issue a T2NG or deny. Uh, we have heard of situations where someone has gone to the consulate for a second or third H-1B. They've been doing this work for a long time. They weren't ready, and unfortunately, an H-1B visa was denied to them. And it sounds unfair that you've had this visa one or two times before, and you can't get it for the same job. But every visa interview is a new interview. There's no right to have a visa issued to you, and you have to approach every single one as serious and provide all the information, both verbally and through the documents that you and I have described already. Yeah, thank you, Brian. And it's always amazing to me because the applicant clearly is very excited, maybe nervous about the visa application process. They go to the consulate and they are so clueless about what has been submitted both to USCIS and to the consulate in applying for that visa. They really should know the documents and the information contained in the documents, 
the job duties, as Brian pointed out, who they're going to work for, the name, the title, the work location. You need to know the contents like the back of your hand, backwards and forwards, because you are now saying, I'm going to work for the next one year or three years with this job, with this employer, with this manager, and you have no clue what you're doing. It's scary. And I think, uh, what did they say? A stitch in time saves nine. Invest a little bit of time and ensure that your H-1B or AL-1 employee is investing that valuable time in really learning and understanding the package, the petition, the documents, the information, so they can describe their job very carefully and clearly to the consulate officer. Anna, what would you suggest for a second time or a subsequent H-1B visa applicant? Sometimes uh, we find that uh, employers and their H-1B-sponsored workers, when they apply for H-1B visa and it's a second, third, or subsequent uh, visa application, they think that it's not going to be a problem and the visa is going to be issued because they are working for the same employer, they have been maintaining their H-1B status. That is not always true. You need to understand that the consular officer is going to review and adjudicate a second or third visa application or any subsequent visa applications the same way, exactly the same way as they looked at the initial petition, uh, I'm sorry, the initial visa application. So that will probably be the same process for anyone who is applying a second, third, or subsequent time. The consular officer will also look for any inconsistencies. Uh, as we discussed with regard to first-time applicants, but now it's becoming more of an issue because there is some history to this H-1B employment, and they will look at the petition that is available in PIMS, and they will also look at the documentation submitted at the interview, and they will see if everything matches. If there is a mismatch, or if there is a change in some kind of uh, material change in the terms of the petition, then that will be a ground for possible revocation and um, transfer of the petition to USCIS. <coughs> Excuse me. Once uh, an H-1B petition is returned to USCIS, it can take months for USCIS to look into the case to issue a notice of intent to revoke um, or reaffirm the previous H-1B petition's approval. Again, the employee is going to be uh, abroad and not on the job, and sometimes it results in termination of employment, which is a problem. Uh, the employer also needs to look into the pay issues because the consular officer is going to look at W-2s or pay stubs for the employee. And if the employee was paid less than the, uh, uh, than the required wage, that's also going to be a problem. The best practice is to review the current H-1B petition and the worker situation even before they travel. To preempt all of these issues, it may be necessary to file an amended petition so that everything is going to match when the employee is um, at the consulate applying for the visa, for the next visa. And here you would need to consult with an attorney, and we have experience uh, with uh, looking at the petition and advising you of the chances for um, the visa approval. So that would be a good idea to look at the petition, approved petition, and the 
exact situation that the employee is in just before they leave for the visa interview. Thank you, Anna. Uh, so you can see that a lot of it is nothing or none of this you can take for granted. And a lot of it, even with a reapplication with a second or third time, you're sort of reinventing the wheel. You're going to have to go back and start almost like you're a first time visa applicant and justifying eligibility, as both Anna and Brian have just explained. And people often ask us, hey, what are some of the commonly asked questions that stumps the visa applicants do the visa, during the visa interview that makes them trip up and really kind of not be able to answer it and sharing this information with your employees so that they can be mentally, psychologically in a good place before they go in. In fact, maybe having a role play. If you don't work with a law firm such as a multi law firm that can guide you and help you and work with you, if you are doing it internally with your team, the H-1 visa application process, then role play with the candidate before they go and apply at the consulate for the visa and ask them the questions, act, have a little window or a make-believe like a space and put those shelves, just say, yep, and tell them you have three minutes to kind of answer it. And the kinds of questions that they are asked include, why do you want to go to the U.S.? And obviously the person presumably will say to fulfill my H-1B employment obligations, but some of the times the employees just get stumped at that first question. How did you find out about the employer, about the employment, about the job? What is your salary going to be to work in this position? Did you pay money to the H-1B employer or petitioner to get this job offer? What location? Where are you going to be working in the United States? What's your role? What's your job title? That's the time what Bana, Anna, and Brian both explain. You better know the petition, and the employee better be really aware of what they're going to answer, because if there's a mismatch or a discrepancy, it's going to again raise a red flag, and it's going to be sent back, not just with a denial, possible fraud finding, possible inadmissibility, all of that. Do you know the number of people who are employed by the employer? Well, it's on the petition. They need to read the petition. How many people are working with you on the project? Hopefully, when the job offer was made, the person was explained uh, what the nature of the job will be, what the duties will be, what will be filed with USCIS, and who all are going to be the colleagues working with that person on that particular project. The salary, when did you graduate, what are your qualifications, your education and work experience? Why are you leaving your current job and employer? And particularly, this is asked if the employee is moving from a larger or more well-known organization or company to a smaller, less-known entity. Questions are often asked about the hiring selection procedure. You know, did you meet the person who interviewed you? What were the kinds of questions you were asked during your interview for the job? And if the, for any reason the education and work experience does not match the job position offered, then you really need to try to justify how the qualifications that you have ma will match so that you actually got that job offer. So, Brian, what are some of the options after there's a 221G request that's been issued or 221G issuance? Can the employer now say, well, I'm going to just switch and apply for an H-4 visa for this applicant or we can go ahead and file a new H-1B petition through a different employer. What are the different options? 
we, we have this question frequently whenever an H-1B uh, worker has a spouse in the U.S. So if there is a couple and both the partners are on H-1B petitions, then if the person gets a 221G, say, in India, they may want to apply for an H-4 visa and see that as a, a easier way to get back in the U.S. and be reunited with a family, maybe their children in the U.S. It can be very difficult for the person. And it is possible to have a 221G pending on H-1B case and then apply for an H-4 visa. The consular officers will typically want you to withdraw the first H-1B petition. It's not absolutely required, so you may want to schedule an H-4 uh, visa interview, apply for the H-4 online, and go with your marriage certificate with other documents you need to prove that you qualify for the visa of H-4. But at the same time, you need to be ready for the consular officer to be able to look in the system and say, you applied for H-4, H-1B visa just uh, a month and a half ago. You know, why do you have two uh, visa applications going simultaneously? And one thing you can do is you could carry a letter written out to the consulate withdrawing your H-1B visa application because you think you're going to get the H-4 approved. And that way you have it in your documents, and if they bring up the issue to you, you're prepared. If you want to apply for a new H-1B with a different employer, it's a little bit more difficult because they will really want you to withdraw that first H-1B visa application at that point. So if you have a second employer that's going to sponsor you, maybe it's a mid-vendor that's going to sponsor you for the same job that you were going to be performing in the U.S. Maybe it's a completely different company. At that point, you need to work ahead of time, withdraw the H-1B petition from the consulate or the embassy, give a, maybe a few days a week, and then go ahead and apply again for the new H-1B. And you have to be prepared as the applicant, the employee. You have to be ready to answer a question about why did you abandon this first job and why are you seeking H-1B for the second job? And you really need to, as Sheila, as you said earlier, you need to be ready for that question and have gone through it with the employer, maybe even have a letter explaining why you're pursuing the second job instead of the first one. Yeah, it's almost like it's everything can be a trigger if that's what they're thinking. And a lot of times they're worried about potential fraud. Is this person just going to get in, enter with company B, but go back and work with company A? And really, by law, they can't stop it if that happens, because especially if the company A goes back and applies a fresh H-1 petition after the person enters the U.S. And same thing with H-4. If the, the visa application is made very soon after, it's like, hey, there's a conflict. You know, is it legit? Is it true? Why didn't you do it? All of that. So what are some of the other special sort of issues that we've seen for consulting, IT consulting companies? And we've already kind of touched upon some of this, but a quick overview from you, uh, Anna and Brian, would be really helpful because I know we like to be sensitive to time, and I see we're getting close to 27 minutes. Just to summarize, Sheila, what we all talked about today, first and foremost, you have to document. So uh, you need to prepare your employee to carry all the documents with him or her to the visa interview. A client letter is ex increasingly important. As we've mentioned today, we've seen visa denials just based on the lack of an end client information. If there have been benching issues for the employer, that may also cause issues during the visa application at the consulate. However, what we've seen, if the beneficiary had benching issues with previous employers, then the past benching generally does not affect the current visa application if the present employer has been paying the required wages as stated in the LCA. Mm -hmm. 
Administrative processing delays under 221G, we've talked a lot about those today, and they persist, and uh, they are still a big problem. They may take up to 10 weeks or longer. You would be better prepared if you carry all documents that are generally listed in 221G requests to the initial visa interview, and I think we've gone over most of those. Okay. And Brian, on any other factors to consider? Yes, Sheila. One uh, thing we see from time to time is when an employee applies for an extension of status in the U.S. or a change of status to H-1B, if that deni- that request is denied, the person then has to leave the country immediately. There's no grace period, as we all know, for the change of status or the or denial time. So if the person takes, say, a week or so to pack up and go back to their home country, they have technically overstayed and violated their status. So the person, when they're applying for that next visa, they have to be very careful that they answer the question correctly on the visa application, the DS-160, that they did, in fact, violate their status or overstay. And it's there's nothing wrong with admitting that. It's the best idea. You just need to be prepared at the interview to explain, you know, I, I booked my flight. I had to pack up. I had to talk to my landlord. I got out of the country in five or six days. I'm sorry, but I just couldn't leave in just 12 hours. And that's going to probably not be a problem. But if you don't check that box correctly on the application, you could get a 212A6C fraud finding, and they may deny the visa, and they may have a, uh, non, a non-immigrant uh, inadmissibility problem, which you would have to apply for a waiver. So it's, it's important to be very careful about that. There's also problems where H-4 visa applicants are asked questions about their husband or their wife's job duties, how often they get paid, what their payroll amounts are. So the H-4 applicants have to be ready to answer questions about the H-1B employment that's the primary that they're applying based upon. And we've seen some really strange cases, a few, where H-1B or H-4 visa applicants have been denied with 214B denials for immigrant intent, and that's inappropriate for H visa applications. And in those situations, Murthy Law Firm has been successful in getting those visa denials overturned. So if you see a 214B denial for an H application, you should talk to the lawyer about that situation. Yeah, makes sense. And we've clearly seen a great deal of success in trying to overcome a lot of these issues. And even the whole H-4, if the H-4 visa applicant is a second-time visa applicant, um, dependent visas, it's very possible under the latest rules that there could be a visa interview waiver that can be a huge benefit if the interview itself is waived because it avoids a lot of these questions that we can see can stump a nervous H-4 dependent spouse. Uh, There are lots and lots of complexities and nuances in the visa application process. Uh, The importance of really understanding what are the potential pitfalls and risks, how you and your employee can best plan and strategize to increase the chances for an approval, maybe in appropriate situations filing an H-1B amendment where required, especially if the employer is relocated or the job duties have changed. There is no better possible solution to all of your problems other than hiring an incredible attorney who can guide and help you and no one better that we can think of than the multi law firm attorneys who can guide and mentor you and hold your hand and that of your employee during this complex visa process. We continue to have regular success by the multi-law firm attorneys in challenging or raising the issues with the U.S. consulate, either directly or contacting the U.S. Department of State Visa Office in Washington, D.C., bringing to their attention an incorrect mismatch and reasons for the denial being inappropriate. 
Just by the way, I know that people, many of our companies ask us when we make regular travels abroad and if we have a visa interview or visa trip planned to the consulate. Uh, myself, that is Sheila Murthy, is planning a trip in early October, so in about two months, less than two months, to travel to India and will be available both at the U.S. consulate in Chennai and or the U.S. consulate in Hyderabad in India because what we have found that it really establishes the credibility of the company uh, because every two or three years the consular officers get transferred, but if a new person has just become the chief of the non-immigrant visa section, now is your chance to establish your credibility, especially if you've been finding problems and visa denials and delays for your employees. It is a worthwhile, good investment of your time and your money to try to work this out in a win-win fashion. As always, it's a pleasure. And on behalf of Anna Stepanova, Brian Green, myself, Sheila Murthy, and our entire Murthy Law Firm team, thank you for investing your valuable time. We hope we've given you some really good tips on how to increase your chances for a visa approval and how we can work together to guide you and your employees during the complex, nuanced, difficult process. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.